Good evening, everyone. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Vic. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we are doing week two in uh, Third John. This is the third book in our short series. We spent two weeks on each book. The books are pretty short. Some of them have one main message. And so there has been a lot of doubt often as to why do we spend two weeks in a book that only have one big idea? And so I said to the guys and, and girls preaching, look, you can take week one, and say whatever you want to say, and I'll come in afterwards and whatever you leave, leave for me, I'll preach, you know. So like, I must be honest with you, you know, I, three John, uh, we're ringing this one out, like this, uh, this one, we're getting the, the, you know, we're reading in between the lines, you know, um, but uh, I'm excited to, to speak. I mean, it's a short sermon. It's going to be short. Uh, for two reasons, because 3 John is short, and last week Brian took a lot of it, uh, which is fine. And um, second reason also is like I'm fresh off the water from Halliburton. My, my family, we just pulled in. We spent a whole week. Uh, someone gave us uh, a week at a cottage, and so I actually spent time there. I had no, um, no computer with me. I just had my, my Bible and some books, and so um, I managed to get home in time to just transfer all the uh, old school notes onto um, something that I could print out. Um, and so that's the second reason why it's slightly shorter than, than usual. But I can ramble, so if you like what I'm saying, I'll just keep going and I'll embellish and, you know, all those kinds of things too. But um, as is our custom, we are going to read all of uh, Third John together. And uh, yeah, it's so good to see you. We actually didn't put seats out on the sides just because we are a smaller crowd today. Um, and uh, I think it's a good thing. It must mean that we're a young church. If, if our high school kids and the leaders are all away and the church is empty, it probably means that, that uh, we have quite a, a number of young people here. So if I just called you old, just calm down. All right? Don't be so sensitive. Like all of you guys took such offense. I don't know how that happened. It's okay. I'm speaking to the youngins online. Okay. Anyway, let's turn to 3 John. I am old too, so I need reading glasses. There we go. I'm not on a youth camp. I'm here with you putting my glasses on. So let's go. 3 John, verse 1. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testify to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a, face, a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and, uh, who wants to and put them or he puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon. 
and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. This is God's word. Lord, do help me. Thank you, Jesus, for your spirit that inspired John to write this personal letter to Gaius. And so help me to, uh, to do it justice. I need you, Jesus. Amen. So um, as we've said before, um, you know, each week we add maybe a few more layers to it. But just a reminder, the context here is that this is the third letter that um, was probably delivered alongside Second John and First John. First John was probably a, a letter that was written to uh, a wider region. Second uh, John, uh, a letter that was um, written specifically to a church. And then we have Third John here, which is much like the letter Philemon that we preached to. That's a personal letter written to this guy called Gaius. And these three letters were probably delivered by the guy whose name shows up in verse 12 here in Third John, a guy called Demetrius, who's also the person that he is commending. Um, so it's likely that Demetrius carried these letters. Uh, and so uh, John is putting a good word in for him uh, using this letter. Um, and, uh, you know, in Second John, uh, last week, I think, uh, or the week before, when I talked about Second uh, uh, John being um, a book that kind of highlights the three big issues in First John, you know, that, that he said you must love one another, must walk according to Christ's commandments, and, and uh, you know, stick to, to the true gospel. Uh, in Third John, he's actually calling a guy called Diotrephes out. He was the main character last week in Brian's sermon. Is that how you say it? Diotrephes, Diotrephes. You know, when you're a South African, you put the emphasis on different syllables. And I, I don't know how to fix that. I mean, I say Halliburton. We, no, actually, we say Halliburton. We, everybody, we say, oh, we went to go. We went to Halliburton. Everyone's like, where's that? And then I have to go, Halliburton. There you go. We went to Halliburton. There we go. Because if I say Halliburton, everybody goes, mm, I think I know where that is. But So Diotrephes is clearly not a person. Who is it? Diotrephes. All right. Y'all sound Greek. Okay. Diotrephes, Diotrephes, Diotrephes. They say if you say it three times, you won't forget. Diotrephes, also known as Diotrephes. Diotrephes, all right. He's clearly failed at one of these conditions that John is writing to this church. And, uh, you know, when he wrote also Second John, sort of the trademarks of a Christian. Um, he has failed to love his brothers. And the reason why we know he's done that is because he's failed to welcome them. He's failed to be hospitable to them. Okay, so that's, um, that's kind of the gist of this letter. And last week, um, Brian uh, had a closer look at that. So if Second John was how to treat false teachers, and actually that message was given by Corey, none other than Corey. Um, and uh, you can go back and, and listen to that. Second John is about false teachers. Third John is how to treat true teachers. False teachers... Those who are against the gospel, drop, kick them out, right? Kick them out. That's, that's, how, that's how passionate he is about the gospel. Don't let them in. Because um, they're, in a sense, anti-Jesus, anti-Christ. But true teachers of the gospel, people who love and follow Jesus, actually, we shouldn't kick them out. We should bring them in, all right? This is the gist of this letter. If the one is like, this is how you treat the false ones, third John is like, guys, this is how you treat the true ones, okay? Um, but before we get into that, if you just read Second John on its own, you, you know, go to bed that night, and you've got no context of who John is, who First John is, the Gospel of John, 
If you just read 3 John, like I've read right now, there might be a couple of lines in there where you go, ooh, that's a little weird. In fact, last week, some of the teenagers said, well, what does this one line mean over here? Like, why? That's, that's pretty harsh. And so my first point I want to make out of this book is really just kind of encouraging you to, to understand that 3 John follows off of 2 John, which follows off of 1 John. Those were written to specific people, to specific contexts. They were written by the Apostle John, who was one of Jesus' disciples. He also wrote the Gospel of John. What am I trying to say here? Is that you can't just read this and not actually lean on the breadth and the depth of Scripture. Proper interpretation of Scripture, or even difficult verses, is that we use Scripture to interpret Scripture. I think that's called hermeneutics or exegesis, but that's the right thing to do. So, so the first encouragement I want to leave with you is that yes there's some hard things here some things that you probably don't understand but because we have all of the scriptures if we don't know what something mean but we have the rest of the scriptures that perhaps says something else we can with confidence say it doesn't mean that if it if it seems to be contradicting other areas it must therefore mean something else because we have enough of the scriptures to know the truth so my encouragement to you is that you should read the Gospel of John. You should read 1 John. We should read all of Scripture because we interpret Scripture with Scripture, especially when we get to difficult verses like, whoever does good is from God, whoever does evil has not seen God. If you just read that and you don't know the Gospel, you might think, yes, good people go to heaven. Is that true? No. (laughs) No, forgiven people go to heaven. In fact, it's good people that go to hell because they lean on their goodness and not Jesus' goodness. We as Christians believe that it's the good deeds that often keep people out of heaven. Okay, so you, you, un, you need the gospel because if you just read verse 12, or sorry, verse 11, and you don't have a clear grasp of the scriptures and of the truth and of the gospel, you get all wonky and eventually we might have to treat you like Second John is telling them to treat people, you know. You might be twisting the gospel. And Paul the apostle got very, very passionate about that, frothing at the mouth in the, in the letter that he wrote to the Galatians. So the point I'm trying to make is that yes, these are difficult ones, but they, we, we trust 3 John because we know who wrote 3 John. The apostle. All right, and we believe the apostles were the ones with the authority to pen scripture. Okay? That's, that's, that's the whole point of 2 John when you were preaching about how do we know the truth and, and false. We, we, I, I'm encouraging you to read your Bibles. Okay? You're getting my point. Good stuff. Okay, let me move on. Okay. And then... Here's where we sort of read a little bit between the lines, and you pick up a little bit of the culture of in, within Christianity as we read these letters written to real people, to real churches, to real regions, real contexts. And we see here that this value of being hospitable is, is all over. It's all over this letter. Our value of being the hospitable family of Jesus includes, as Mike so wonderfully preached in our previous series where we talked about the dis- being a disciple following Jesus, spent two weeks on what it means to be hospitable. It means to host people in your home, primarily around meals, opening up your dinner table, opening up your lounge, opening up your fridge, opening up your kitchen, and hosting people, and how to do that. It did an outstanding job. But today, I want to take the subject of hosting and hospitality to even the next level, Beyond just the meal that you might have around your table or in your lounge. In verse 5, he writes, Beloved, it is a faithful thing 
you do in all your efforts for these brothers, right? These brothers, and the family, brothers and sisters, strangers as they are. All right, and we know that the word hospitality means a love for strangers. It's the word philoxenos. The opposite of that is xenophobia, fear of strangers. Right, so he's saying strangers as they are. So they are strangers, but there's something else going on here. They are brothers. He said, the efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. And here's this beautiful thing that we see in the kingdom of God. As that there are lots of Christians. Do you know that? That you have a family member in the ends of the earth compared to where Canada is placed right now. Where would that be for us on the opposite side? Help me out here. Uh, Uzbekistan will do. Uzbekistan will do. Thank you very much. But I mean, it could be down under. It could be in Australia. If there is a believer, strangers as they are, they are your brothers and your sisters. It's a profound thing. And, and, and actually the scriptures here is encouraging that when those strangers who are brothers and sisters come through town, come to do ministry, right? Specifically here, it says that they are doing this for the name of Jesus. That actually the expectation is that the family of God embraces them as brothers and sisters, those, obviously, who are believers in the gospel. They, otherwise, they would still be classified as neighbors. And we, by the way, Jesus said you should still love your neighbors. But we trust that people move from neighbors to brothers and sisters when they hear the gospel. It's when people deny Jesus in the flesh that they are no longer, I mean, they, they, they can't be considered brothers and sisters. They need to be kept out. Either repent, come to faith, go move from neighbor back to brother and sister, or, or stay out there if they pretend to be brothers and sisters because then they are, in fact, wolves in sheep clothing and as pastors, shepherds of a church. That's, we have to protect not just the people. We have to protect the truth. Okay? That was the point of Second John. I'm not going to re-preach it. The point I'm trying to make is, is that brothers and sisters are followers of Jesus in other contexts, in other towns, in other countries, they, strangers as they are, they are our family members. And the encouragement here is that when they come to do ministries, that we host them, that we show them hospitality. Let me tell you some of the worldwide family members that my family, just a couple of pictures. I went, I mean, that's the thing. I got home and I quickly plugged in our hard drive and I tried to find Photos as badly categorized as they are, because you know what it's like. You know, you have photos, you put them on a hard drive, and then you never, ever go back to them again. And it's very hard to find pictures. But I found a couple. So here's, here's, here's a couple of uh, uh, instances. This is um, uh, in 2004. This was actually, I'm looking around here, and I don't see any Filipinos. This is the first Filipino, love. Is, am I correct? My, my wife, by the way, she's doing media tonight. She's doing a great job. Huh? Yeah. This is the first Filipino that we've ever met. And we know she's Filipino because there's a whole fish on our plate right there. Okay? Heads and everything with some rice. But we met her in Dubai doing ministry there. We traveled with Alan Frau to do worship ministry, music ministry in Dubai. And we were hosted in one of the elders' homes. And this lady was one of the helpers. She helped look after the kids and stuff. And, and that was the first Filipino. I don't remember her name. Stranger as she is, but she, was, she loved us. She, she showed us hospitality. And that family that we stayed with loved us and showed us hospitality. They, we were in many ways treated the way that John is encouraging Gaius to treat Demetrius. I pronounced that one right, hey? Yes. 2004. This happened in 2004. We didn't even have a Liam yet. Okay. Next. This is us in Zimbabwe, a place called Mashingo. There is little Liam there. 
sitting next to a friend, a stranger. But we stayed in that home. That home is owned by Nicholas Majaya and his family. And uh, in 2007, I mean, we did, that's just one of the many trips that we've done over the years. Um, but that's the house. We stayed in that person's house. We didn't stay in a hotel out of town nearby. Even when we went to Dubai, plenty of hotels, lovely establishment. We stayed in someone's home, as we did over here. I've got, I'd, I had some pictures here that I could have shown you on the inside, but I, I just don't have time. Next, next one. Uh, in Namibia, 2009, that's Folker and Esther Barkhouse, all right, on the left. And they lead a church in Vintuk. And they helped us. We went from Vintuk. We drove north to the border of Angola to a place called Oshakati, where we also stayed with the locals. We stayed in, in Folker and Esther's house. Funny, funny story. Um, the person on the right there, remind me of his name again. <laughs> oh, it's Ed. Ed Finn, right? There you go. Ed, yeah. Ed was in our church, traveled with us. We moved eventually to Canada Many, many years. I mean, this is 2009. What? We're talking how many years? 15 years? 14 years? You. Thank you, sweetie. Yeah. I mean, I don't know which month in 2009. Be kind, okay, to your father. Honor your parents. My goodness. That just came through. <laughs> anyway, we had, a, we had a minister come through from Angola. He spent some time with our leaders. He preached in our church. I can't remember. 2019, maybe. Do you guys remember? Um, and we and him are talking, and we find out that we both know this guy, Ed Finn. Ed Finn is now in Angola working with navigators. Um, and this person, um, I'm trying to remember his name. Anyway, I'm bad with names tonight. It's just the way it's going to be. All right. But strangers as they were, I mean, they hosted us in their homes. Next slide. Toronto, 2014. I was not a resident of Canada yet, temporary resident still. But guess who hosted us when we came to spy out the land? Huh? Mike and Edwina. That's right. That is, in fact, Edwina. Okay? <laughs> but where did we stay? Like in the, in the little inn down the road here in Ajax? No, we stayed in their home. They hosted us amazingly. They practiced what they preach. In their house. 2014. Next. There we are in Wales, in an area called the Rhonda Valley. Tony Pandy is the, is, the, is the, you see, there's not enough space on the screen to write all that out. So there we are with the Evans family. Well, at least just Brian and Vanessa. And that's little Amber. She traveled with us. And over there, we stayed with people in the church. Lois and, hey, Ben and Lois. There you go. Sounds like a comic. Ben and Lois, you know. The Spider-Man vibes going on. I don't know. Superman? There we go. In Wales, we didn't, didn't book a hotel. They said, no, come stay in our house. It's a beautiful thing. I think there's another one. Okay, so here, how's this? When we moved to Canada, just before we moved, we hadn't been back to Zimbabwe for nine years. And so 2022, we were able to go back um, and... Uh, we were able to go not just to South Africa, but actually go visit a church. They planted that church in Arari that I show you pictures of a while. This is the Roberts family. They've got two beautiful girls as well. And we stayed in their home as we did ministry in their church. Again, didn't stay in a hotel in Harare. 
we stayed in their house. And actually, they are going to stay in our house most likely in October. They're coming up to come and be with us as a church as well. I'm really hoping they're trying to get their visas from It's difficult for a Southern African to travel. Hopefully Canada says yes in time, that you get to meet them in person. But nine years later, we're able to be uh, in their house. And I, I made friends with him about 12 years before that. Um, and we've, uh, we've, st- we've stayed in contact. Next slide is, is actually a, a family that's close to us. So, so when we started doing ministry in Harare, uh, before Liam was born, um, this family hosted us many times, many times. And it was so amazing to be able to be in their home again, nine years. It's been a nine-year gap since the last time we've been with them, the Hart family. We've seen all their kids grow up. They've seen all our children grow up. It's so amazing. They are, they are not just people we know in Harare. They are brothers and sisters. Uh, and, you know, are, are there any more pictures? I don't think so. No, you can put it on the next slide again, must we not? Thank you. But I've, I've left so many other areas of. We've been to Malaysia. We've stayed in people's homes in Malaysia. We've done ministry there. You know, we've done, uh, um, qu- recently I went to Quinell. Yeah. And you know where I stayed in Quinell? I stayed in Toby and Loretta's tiny little house in their basement. It's been, it's been an amazing thing. Because this is what we do as a movement. So, so you, might, you might think, oh, well, what's he doing right here? You know, as a church, we, we often talk about we want to be as biblical as we like, uh, can be. That's why we have elders and deacons. We, don't, we, we just stick with the, sort of the format that the scriptures give us, the way that we plant churches, the way that we relate to other churches. And even in terms of hospitality, that's the way it rolls. So when people come through to minister in our church, we have them stay in our homes. We have them stay in our homes. You know, I... Um, I want to ask you if your home is ready for, for a, a, an opportunity like that. Have you, have you th- seen yourself as possibly being used by the Lord, not just to have someone over for a meal, but have someone over for the night? Like Christian sleepovers is a thing. Are, are you willing? You know, we're talking about this conference that's happening in November. And because people are coming from Canada, if we register early enough, guess where you will be staying? They are going to try their very best to put you with people in the church so you don't have to spend money on a hotel or an Airbnb. Because this is our value. When we say we want to be biblical, we, we take it to that extent, to that extreme. And when we talk about people are approachable and we're all about relationships, we, we, we don't actually entertain someone who comes with a rider. Says, yeah, you know, we do ministry in our church. Sure, I'd like blue M&Ms and I want to stay at the Holiday Inn, preferably above the fifth floor. We don't do that because we, we're family, you know. We don't necessarily treat our family. Your parents don't come and stay and, and have a rider like that, do they? If they do, work on that honoring your parents thing, all right. <laughs> or your brothers and your sisters. We, ha- we have them in our homes. The, the point I'm trying to make is this, is this is in between the lines. This is standard stuff here, how guys ought to treat these people who minister. Um, so is your room ready? You know, when we did ministry in Oshakati, uh, I didn't show those pictures because my kids would kill me, but they were bathing in buckets because like, they didn't have baths, but they still opened their homes to have us in there. In, Mash- in, 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 um, in Mashingo and, and Harare, it, it's like all four or five of us in one room, one room for the whole family. We all said, but it's in their room with the people who lead that church. There are our family members. And we say, yeah, no problem. So you might think, yeah, but I can't do it with my house. No, no. The first time 
that we actually hosted, my wife and I. Again, there was, there was no Liam yet. There was no kids yet. We had just moved into the equivalent of a basement apartment that you would know, would be familiar with here. One bedroom, a kitchen, dining room, and a lounge all together. That's it. That's it. And, and then a toilet. Don't worry. We didn't have a toilet. Okay? <laughs> toilet, shower, whatever. So it was like three rooms, basically. And Matt Redman's bass player was coming out with Matt Redman. We were hosting an event. And, and Alan Frau asked my wife and I if we would host Gary, the Matt Redman's bass player. Matt Redman, by the way, wrote two of the songs we sang tonight. Okay? Yeah. Yes, my, my daughter's like, mind blown. Yes. So how's this? 2019, we're at an advanced conference, which we're encouraging you to go to, this next um, picture. Guess who we bump into? Gary. All right, Gary's British. I don't know what he was doing in North Carolina, but he was visiting. He had some friends over there. And we remember Gary was the first person that we hosted in our home. Many, many years earlier. Mike, I mean, 2019, it would have been like, help me here, love. How many years before that? 2004. I actually wrote it down. I'm actually quite amazing. I didn't, I didn't realize my slides were this good. I wrote it down. 2004. We hosted him. But here's the thing. I want to tell you, the reason I'm, I'm sharing this story is because I asked if your home is ready. And you might have thought, well, not my house, someone else's house. And I told you the houses that I had stayed in. Let me tell you about the house that Gary stayed in. Like I said, one bedroom. Just a kitchen, lounge, dining room, open plan with a toilet. So Alan said, could you host him? He said, yeah, no problem. We'll put, a, we'll put a mattress down in the lounge. Alan's like, no, you won't. He's like, I want you to move out of your bedroom. And we said, okay, because, you know, we honor our parents. <laughs> and it was the beginning of an incredible, I mean, gift to be able to host to that extent. We moved out of our bedroom. Of course, he was incredibly blessed by it. It's like, what? Your bedroom? You know, some people are uncomfortable. I mean, look, the ship had sailed. Like, we'd gotten the whole place ready for him, okay? He moved into our bedroom. We're the ones who slept in the lounge on a mattress or on the couch. I can't remember. And ever since then, we've been so willing, as a default setting, to open up our homes. Right now, we've just had guests that stayed with us for a number of days. I mean, only at the end did they go, by the way, where are you guys sleeping? Because they were sleeping in our room. And we said, oh, we're sleeping in the lounge. No, you got, I mean, again, it's too late. Our children have moved out of their bedrooms many, many times so they could be hospitable with people that come through our homes. And so what I'm just trying to say is that there is, in fact, therefore, no excuse for you to be hospitable to that extent as well. Hey, you heard Mike and Edwina's amazing talk about open up in your kitchen and your fridge and be hospitable and, and all those great tips. And I'm saying well, you could take it even to the next level. And there is, in fact, no home, I think, in Canada that's not able to host somebody that would come through. I, I, I would say this with full confidence. Unless you are, in fact, homeless, that's your greatest excuse. If you have a home, whether it's a basement apartment or something a little bigger, you can do it. We've stayed in homes like that. We've hosted in homes like that. And you can do it too. It's an amazing thing because they are brothers and sisters. Here's another thing. It is amazing that we can do that. That actually as Christians, you can find yourself in another context. And if there are Christians over there, that you could actually find yourself warmly hosted. As if you are a family, even though they are strangers. You're a stranger to them and they're a stranger to you. Isn't that an amazing thing? 
Because I'm not saying this. Okay, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, okay, now you're going to book a European holiday and you're going to Google the closest churches and you're going to knock on their door and say, please, could I stay with you? That's not what I mean. Because what does it say in verse 7? These people have gone out for the sake of the name. In other words, they are coming in Jesus' name. They're coming to minister. They're coming to give. They're coming to serve. They, and, and that's what I mean. That means that sometimes I'm encouraging you out to be apostolic in that sense, to be modern-day missionaries. I know we talked about mission is to your neighbor next door, but there are times when God asks of us and we take people along to minister in other contexts. And when you, when you as, a, as a person who's perhaps not on staff, go, you take leave. Sometimes it's unpaid leave. You pay to go, not to go see the attractions, it's to go be with the church, to serve, to learn, to support. But the amazing thing is, is that even in our movement, it's a worldwide movement, is that to, to be able to, to travel like that is an incredible thing. It opens up your eyes to see the church, the worldwide church, in ways that, that if you just stick around here, you, you might not see. You, you might not see aspects of God's kingdom. Yes, you get to see the world, but you get to get, see God's kingdom at work. And you get to see God's world within the world, if I can put it that way. It is an incredible thing to be able to be a part of another church that is also an outpost of heaven. This week I finished a book I, I can highly recommend it. Um, I'll, I'll post about it uh, some other times. written by John Mark Comer, and it's called Live No Lies. But right at the end, he talks about the importance of the church. And it's a beautiful passage. As we you know, talk through what it means to follow Jesus, remember the one week we talked about church membership, and we're working through a, a, a manual as a church, uh, a church membership manual where we call people to commit to being regular attenders at a church. Thinking of ways to obviously sell that good thing. You know, the Bible, the Bible is clear, but find creative ways to tell people this is a good thing. All of you are here to, to, tonight. You know, it's the, it's the end of summer. Everybody's going to be away, and, but you're here. One, well done. Good job. I'm, I'm preaching to the choir in a sense. But, you know, he, he, he talks about the church as in just believers, obviously living out Jesus' way. In a world, we on the we on the edges, we on the margins, and when we come together, there is something that is visible and should be attract attracting to to guests, to neighbors that come in to see how the brothers and sisters relate to one another. So, of course, when you travel, you see that kingdom aspect at work in other contexts. But every time we come together, I thought about this: like when we when we go on, or when when people have marches, when they have. I don't know if you call them riots, parades. What do you call it? When people protest, there we go. Thank you, my baby, my, my daughter baby. So for those watching online, he's like, what is this guy calling his church members? No, um, pro- protesting is happening. This is an amazing thing. We should get together every week because every week when we get together like this, it's like us in many ways, standing up for what we believe, coming together. It's like a march. It gets broadcast onto the TV, and people write articles about it. All these people got together in front of the town hall with their, with their, you know, their, their signs saying, you know, justice for that. And do. When we come together as a church, every week it's a protest. Every week it's like us coming together to saying, Jesus is our king, and we live this way, and it's different to the culture. It's so important for us to gather together. Don't you think that's a great case for getting together? It's like we have our own parade every Sunday. It's amazing. And when you travel for the, in, for the sake of Jesus, and you find yourself joining other churches, you join their parades, and what, how they stand up for Jesus in their unique context. It's an incredible thing. And of course, because you have Jesus in common, best example I can give you right now, 
is, um, I'm sorry, it's the comrades. You know, remember when I ran that 90 kilometer? <laughs> of course you remember that. It's all I'm talking about. But the next day, you walk funny in town. And then you see someone else walking funny. And immediately, there is the most incredible bond with a stranger. You both know what you did the day before. And you are basically best friends. It's, it's a fact. I mean, it takes you two, you know, maybe 20 minutes to get to each other because you, you, you know, you're trying to like share war stories. But eventually, when you get to each other, it's like you, you have a bond. And that's what it is when you're a follower of Jesus. You go to another country, you can't speak their language, you don't know their context, you don't eat their food, they love Jesus, you love Jesus. There's this amazing thing. There's this connection that you cannot explain. They are family. Our family. I don't even know how this point is making any sense, but I'm just going for it. Okay. So I want to encourage you, City Gates, that when we say, hey, Cornell is going to have the official launch on September 24th, here's a moment for you to, to go in the name of Jesus. It's a big moment for that church. They've been a church plant for over two years. And God has moved. I mean, there's incredible stories. They'll tell some of those stories at that service. But in many ways, that church is going to its next level. It's stepping out of being a church plant because God has done so much. That church is established. It's like a moment for that church to say, we're now a teenager or we're an adolescent. We're no longer a baby anymore. Like God has done something. I mean, that church, can you believe it? It's already had a transition. <laughs> I mean, it's grown up so quickly. So to be able to go to Cornell, guess where you'll stay? Most likely, I mean, they're going to try. It's a small church. Actually, it's a church that has some resource challenges, but they are going to try their very best to have you stay with church members, with other brothers and sisters. That's one way to go and support and, and stand in solid solidarity, to join their parade in Cornell. Because that's what Christians often do. When we say the advanced conference is coming up, it's, it's, I would love for you to see what God is doing. And remember, lots of churches in North America gather on the East Coast at that conference. So you'll be able to make more friends with family members. Who knows? You might find yourself in Florida serving and ministering there. You might, I mean, I remember a couple of years ago when there was that massive flood in Texas, remember? And a whole bunch of city gators jumped into a car and went down there and helped clean up homes and ripped down drywalling that was rotting and so on. They stayed with people. Friends, this is one of the joys. This is one of the like spin-offs of being a Christian. It's one of those benefits that nobody tells you when you say yes to Jesus. And then you step into God's family. And it's like, whoa, this is incredible. I'm part of something massive worldwide. So amazing. All right, let me, let me end off with the uh, last, uh, last point, last two points. Acknowledging authority or fatherly authority. So yeah, number one was scripture, interpret scripture. Next level hospitality is what I just spoke about. And then fatherly authority as we see here happening in this passage as well. When John talks about the fact that the diatrophies, no, 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 no affirmation. Okay. Diatrophies. Um, <laughs> uh, no, what I'm trying to say is uh, he, John is saying he does not acknowledge his authority. And so connected to point two of people coming through us and us hosting uh, uh, and uh, hosting people um, is the fact that 
often the people that come through, many of them are just brothers and sisters. You know, I would say Tom Wolfe is one of those. He's a friend of ours. He leads a church an hour and a half north of uh, Toronto. Um, we encourage one another. We're brothers in the Lord. He's wanting to come and, 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 and serve and bless our church. Many of them are dear friends. And they, when they come through, if they can't stay with us, they, they do. But there are some of those that come through that can call me or, in fact, call our, child, uh, our church their children. There's a sense that they carry fatherly authority and responsibility. And even as we step into transition as a church, as we brought on new leaders, we're going to move into a time of team leadership. As my, myself transitioned out of leading the team, we are going to lean more and more on people like, that play a role in our church the way John played a role in, let's say, Gaius' church. He's probably the guy that led the church. And so we recognize their authority. There are, there, are, there are men who have planted churches, who have led churches, who have helped churches, and men who have walked the road with me. One guy uh, is a guy called Rigby Wallace. Again, I've known him for decades. Mike and Edwina know, th- know them. They've ministered into city gates even before I was in Canada. These are people that have rapport with us, people that we love and trust. They have a track record in terms of ministry. And, and, and we recognize their authority. That's, it's not just like, oh, we need to fill the pulpit, you know, two weeks from now. Who's, no, one's, no one's up for preaching. Let's just call a, uh, call a buddy. It's not how that works. Actually, there's a sense that they are, there's invited authority. And often with the intent to help us navigate through some challenges. That's what our season is moving into. And we will taste the benefits of this worldwide family in a profound way. And guess where they'll be staying if they come through? <laughs> they'll be staying in our homes, <laughs> you know. Because they love our church. They're not here to exploit us. They're not here to like milk us dry. They're not here to, to, to be served. They, are, they would come through to serve us. And so there are people like that in our church movement that consider us like children. And we actually honor them. We honor their gifting much like you would honor parents. It's quite amazing that that was part of our confession moment here. That that actually happens as well. They don't, and they don't come to strong arm us. It's invited. We invite them in. They don't oppose it. We invite them in. And so you'll be seeing some of those faces over the next couple of weeks, uh, either in our leadership context, just with our leaders, or perhaps on a Sunday as well. But this is all part of what it means to be part of God's family. It's that they are actually people with spiritual authority and uh, influence in our lives, in my life and in the life of our church, that I would call someone a father, um, and, and they would be able to call me like a spiritual child or our church like a spiritual child as they carry us in their hearts to the same extent that John, you can see John is so affectionate. He loves this church the way that he writes to them. Okay, so we've got about nine minutes left and I would love for us to um, just focus on verse two as we close where John says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. And I think it'd be great for us just, you know, it was supposed to be a short sermon, but I, I took liberty of, of, uh, of rambling. I'm sorry. But we can still pray. And I'd love for us to pray 